welcome to Conversations About Life. All right. Well, thanks, Jim. Um, it's good to talk with you, and I haven't seen you in a long, long while. We went to school together, and uh, so we were in some of the same... Um, well, we, I think you ran cross-country, yes, did. didn't you? Okay. And um, so, um, so I did that with you, and um, I think you were more in, um, like you were kind of more of an academic achiever than I was, so you were in some different circles there. And uh, I think you were kind of more involved in school life than I was, too, um, and things like that. But we had a... I guess, yeah. I mean, I was in, I did theater um, stuff and that, right. and, and I guess other than cross country. And yeah, I, I guess I was, you know, I don't know, I forget, you know, there were the burnouts, there were the the smart kids, whatever. Yeah. So I guess I was a little more involved than you. Yeah. So um, I guess what caught my attention uh, concerning you was, it, it was maybe a while back when um, I just seen something on Facebook about you getting involved um, in something or another. And I went back and looked at Facebook, and it said that you went into um, the field of a clinical mental health counselor, or you went to school for that and graduated here two or three years ago, right? So I thought that was interesting and uh, just kind of interested in, you know, what your life's been like since then and so forth. But, um, so why don't you just kind of give me a little summary about what you're all about and, um, uh, what, you know, um, since high school, just give me a, yeah, a summary of what's, what's brought you to this place okay, right now. Sure. Um, well, I guess it was, um, it wasn't an immediate journey to mm-hmm. mental health counselor. I um, did that mm-hmm. as a um, second career. So like you said on Facebook, you noticed that I graduated um, about two years or so ago. So I had been, after I graduated yeah. college, I had a finance degree um, because that's what was, you know, I think when I was thinking of what I wanted to do growing up, um, I think I wanted to be a teacher. But, you know, I was always kind of told, oh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, a thankless profession and you're not going to make a lot of money. And I unfortunately kind of, you know, listened to that. I also, you know, my father's like business is kind of where it's at, son. And, So I listened to my dad. I mean, you know, I'm like, okay, dad, I think, you know, sure. And I enjoyed it for 26 years, but then I was like, I wasn't feeling like I was fulfilled anymore. Um, So that's when I made the the bold decision in 2015 to quit my job, everything I knew, um, to go back to graduate school. And then I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel that when I was working in the um, banking industry, that's 
the primary part of the financial industry that I worked in. I worked in banking. I was a manager for about a year or two. Um, and I remember that I had folks that were probably ranging in age from 23 to like 61. So it was a broad spectrum on where people were in their career paths and everything. And so I felt a lot of those times I was kind of the counselor, the father confessor, the social worker, the ear that people needed. I mean, there were many times where people were having their own personal issues. And I guess people say I'm comfortable to speak to. Uh, I, I'm non-threatening. So after I think hearing that for a, and kind of doing some of that, not trained at all, but just kind of being, I think, that empathic human being that I think we all hope we can be, um, I said, well, it's time to do something about it. So, and I was probably not very fulfilled anymore in my career. Um, I didn't like the way things were leading. Um, and I thought people were being, you know, it was a hierarchical thing on how we took care of our clients. At least that's how I felt. And I just didn't feel like I wanted to be part of that and kind of complicit in that. So I said, it's time to do this. So I took the jump and then here I am now doing counseling, um, talking to folks, dealing with a lot of, I think, well, right now, um, I recently started out working now in a private practice, which I wasn't doing when I first graduated. I worked kind of still in a corporate atmosphere in a, a employee assistance program um, where folks called in saying, I need help. And sometimes it was, they just needed to talk to a human being in that time and in that place, because it's like, my life is crap. I'm now working with folks, you know, dealing with a broad range of issues. But I think a lot of what people are obviously dealing with right now is kind of like some of it's pandemic related, the anxiety that I think a lot of people are feeling right now. So um, that seems to be a big deal and just other stressors in folks' lives. So that's kind of what I've been doing, um, I guess, in a kind of a very brief, like you said, kind of summary. So, um, yeah. So like when mental, you know, health, are you, um, are, do you, uh, help people who have like a diagnosis or is it rather just kind of people who don't have a diagnosis, but they're just going through a difficult time mentally? Um, some people definitely have, you know, most people I've talked to so far, at least in this private practice, um, mm -hmm. may have had counseling in the past, so they may know a diagnosis, or it was a different issue at the time, and maybe now, you know, maybe it was depression back then, now it's anxiety. Um, but some of it is, you know, I think some folks are just dealing with the stressors of life right now. And I mean, 
yeah, there can be kind of like the diagnosis, but it's more of, I think, just trying to find coping skills or better ways to deal with, you know, the stress because some people unfortunately turn to behaviors that are not the best. Um, and maybe there's other things they can do that aren't going to be so, um, hate to use it, they can use better behaviors. Maybe they weren't the best. Um, so mm-hmm. oftentimes that is, unfortunately, people might turn to alcohol or drugs or risky behaviors um, and just kind of talking them through and kind of trying to help them through that. So, you know, in my internship, I definitely had people that were pretty much had a diagnosis and were, you know, just mm-hmm. trying to kind of maintain themselves in a good way so not to feel like they're falling back or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so like, I, and I guess the stressors currently are like, is because of the pandemic and is it like loneliness? Is that kind of the stressors a lot of times? Some of it is. Some people may not have a significant other in their life. And so that's something that they're dealing with. Um, you know, a lot of folks aren't seeing family because they say, I don't want to hurt, you know, I don't want to get my elderly grandmother or mother, father, whoever sick. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it is just... Um, People working, you know, a lot of us are, you know, working from home now until maybe we can go back into the office. And a lot of that is where folks are like, I'm not dealing well with that because I'm in a small space. A lot of people might have a smaller like condo instead of a house or an apartment. And so they're not, you know, like they say, I I look at my workspace and I can't feel like my work life and my personal life are separated anymore. Um, they're mm-hmm. also sometimes with folks that maybe they don't get along with as well. And they're 24 seven with that person um, and or right. stuff like that. So that's what I think a lot of folks notice as kind of some of the problems. I mean, it's not, all usually pandemic related, but I think in some ways the pandemic has obviously affected us all. So we're all dealing with some kind of stressors because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so I, just the field you're in, um, I listened to Jordan Peterson some. Are you familiar with him? I am not actually. So Okay. So he... Um, He's a psychologist um, from Canada. He taught at a university, and now he's an author and speaker. And um, anyway, he so just the kind of work you're doing kind of reminds me of him. I listen to him. He's on YouTube and stuff like that. um, He um, he talked. One thing that kind of caught my attention that he said is um, something that people can kind of do for each other, which might be similar to what you do, um, is um, we can, when there's just a big mess in our heads because of what we're going through, and um, if we can find somebody to just, um, you know, who will listen, and we can just kind of let that all out and just talk and talk and talk, and then they can kind of like 
wrap it up in like a summary fashion and say, you know, this is what I'm hearing, and they give it back to us. And if they get it, that kind of gives us a, a bit of order um, where we we could think, hey, that's what I'm going through. And then it's maybe less of a mess um, and something we can carry with us. It doesn't solve the problem, but um, just helps us to kind of understand what we're going through and be have a little more order in our thinking, perhaps, right. and stuff like that. I agree. I think that's um, a big part of it. I think that's, you know, a lot of folks say, like, I can't keep t- telling my, you know, spouse this or talking to my best friend or maybe it's your children or whatever because, you know, I feel like I'm burdening them. And I think a lot of times folks, like you just said, want somebody that kind of like hears them in a compassionate way and Mm -hmm. can kind of like say, oh, I get it. I hear, you know, there's pain or there's a lot of stress in your life. And I think sometimes kind of that validation is what people are looking for and then just want to kind of get that, um, you know, kind of wrapped up and feel like they're heard Mm -hmm. so that they can, like you said, Mm -hmm. kind of feel more ordered and hopefully find ways to move Mm -hmm. forward. So you mentioned um, something you didn't like when you were in the corporate banking world, um, like a treating clients a different way in like a hierarchical way are you are you meaning like people with like lots of money were kind of treated more favorably than people with small accounts is that the thing or is it something different than that that's kind of how i felt we were i was on the corporate side so it wasn't like individuals per se but it was the same concept um it was more of the more fees that you generated which usually meant you were bigger you you got i think more service more attention um which mm-hmm. i think we see kind of in society unfortunately in general it's times and um that was part of it plus there were things about my job that were changing that i felt like there's times I mean, I made a big move career change and I don't mind being stretched, but I just felt like I wasn't doing some of the stuff that I was best at. And if I was kind of being, I don't know, forced is the best word, but I felt like I was being kind of gently pushed towards different um, roles that I really didn't feel like I wanted to take on. Um and I also thought just the whole business model was becoming more, just wasn't aligned with the values that I have. So that's a yeah, big yeah. reason. Um, so you feel pretty satisfied in your current profession then? Yes. Of, you know, being um, a counselor and it's mental health. It's, yeah. it's very different. Um, I in, I think I enjoy seeing people because I think a lot of us have a kind of an innate sense of self and we have a lot of insight that sometimes we don't realize. And I think it's, I'm just kind of that person who's walking that journey with you. Um, And um, yes, so ultimately I do feel more fulfilled and feel that 
it's just great to see people grow on their own and that I can kind of walk that journey with you. Okay. And um, like you said, people just naturally have an innate sense of self. Are you talking about the people you're helping? Um, yeah. Like what I, does it mean to have an innate sense of self? Um, I think it's just, for me, it's people... I mean, we all don't, I guess, always know who we are, but I think there's kind of that intuition, um, a sense of, you know, this is who I am, this is who I... I guess I look at folks, when I think of this maybe in some ways, I'm thinking of some folks that have had like trauma in their lives and through the process of therapy, they're realizing, oh yeah, it's kind of been maybe hidden or suppressed, but then sometimes when they start remembering what happened in the past or they hear other stories, they start realizing, oh yeah, that's me. Um, and it was just kind of hidden. And sometimes it just needs to kind of come to the fore. And I think mm-hmm. there's where I feel that a lot of us have a really good sense of who we probably are. I mean, yes, there's a lot of environmental factors that change things. Like, I think I knew I was a a pretty good listener and a fairly uh, easy person and, like, non, you know, somebody could feel comfortable around me. Mm-hmm. I sort of knew it, but I think I needed sometimes hearing that or that just to kind of revalidate that so that like when I did make the decision that like, yeah, I think I really do know that I am this person. I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. I was blessed that I had good parents that I think were great role models in that. And I think there are people that I've I, I've looked to as a role model of compassionate, empathic people um, that I think kind of colored my whole view of that. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it's there. I think we just sometimes need a little help in seeing it. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, we're kind of growing and developing, and who we are kind of works its way out. And um, sometimes listening to the comments of other people can kind of help us, you know, think, oh, they're observing this in me. And, you know, then we think about it and think, hey, that, you know, and it does tell us a little bit about who we are, and it might give us some direction in life and things like that. Right. Um, well, besides your profession, just what are you um, all about? Like, what are you into? Um, what um, what are you passionate about? Like, what makes up your, uh, what's your life basically about, you know, kind of apart from just your profession? Sure. Um, well, let's see. Um, some things that I think the pandemic has only... Uh, kind of intensified for me is that I've always liked cooking, um, actually okay. baking more so. 
Um, I can still remember in, in, in speech class in high school doing a cooking demonstration. We had to do like a demonstration speech. And I did a whole thing where I made yeah. a cake like Julia Child did from The French Chef. And I can remember sitting yeah. in Mrs. Shelton's class and doing that. And, you know, it was fun. Yeah, I was, yeah. So I, I think that's something. And like, you know, I was like the thousands of people during pandemic that all of a sudden I, I started baking bread on my own, which I never did. Um, and I enjoy yeah. it. So now I bake bread almost every week, you know? Um, so yeah. that's, that's something that I have a passion about. Um, I love traveling. I mean, I can't say that I'm, I'm a true world traveler, but I've been lucky to go to a, a few countries in Europe and I've been to Israel, which was an awesome trip about oh, wow. seven years ago. Yeah. Um, that was very cool to visit that country and um, see to me a very different world in some ways because of obviously just the history there. Um, and I mm -hmm. think two people saying, Oh, so, wow, go ahead. I'm sorry. So what took you to Israel? What um, piqued your interest or brought you there as a traveler? Um, it was something that, um, well, something I should tell you too. Um, I'm married, but um, I am, I guess, in some people's eyes, I'm not married in the most traditional sense. Um, I am um, married to a man. So my husband okay. um, said, hey, I'd like to go to Israel. Um, we both consider ourselves, um, and that's a whole other conversation I know we could have, you know, Catholic. Um, I was born and raised okay. Roman Catholic, so was my husband. Um, still are part of that faith tradition. Um, but anyway, he said, hey, I'd, I'd love to go to um, Israel. And I'm like, oh, it would be so neat. And we didn't want to do it per se on a total like kind of a pilgrimage way, but we wanted to do it on a historical perspective but also just the awesomeness of standing, like to see the sights that we've heard in the Bible, um, which I, mm -hmm. I really noticed in church after coming back, you know, when you talk about, you know, Mount Tabor or just, you know, Galilee, going to all those different spots was like, wow, I've been there. I've seen that. It's something I've heard thousands of times during church now I kind of feel like I've seen and I've felt um, mm -hmm. and that so it was more of a historical sense instead of a kind of like you know going to you know doing Bible study while we're there and stuff like that but it was just neat to meet the people see the country and I mean in a way it 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 helped I think make our faith life come alive in a, a way because we could understand like this is where Jesus trod as we say you know and everything and it's like kind of interesting um, and to see things that just are different than what we see in our everyday life as an American so 
Right. So um, I'm a part of the Christian faith too. So that's that's interesting. And um, so what does um, so for you? What does Jesus mean to you, or what's the significance of Jesus? And even like uh, for you, his death on the cross comes into play. Um, what's the significance of his his death on the cross and then and resurrection and so forth? Um, I guess for me, it's just that, you know, that sacrifice that Jesus made for us all, um, kind of for the, you know, everlasting life that we can now have. Um, that's kind of how I see um, that ultimate sacrifice when, you know, look at the crucifix of church and you see, I mean, you know, in our faith tradition, that can be a very, that's usually a very central figure to see um, Christ on the cross. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and it's interesting just to see the different viewpoints of how people interpret that. Um, you know, I think in Italy, like I've been to Italy a few times and in Southern Italy, they like to see Jesus on the cross in blood and gore. They want you to, I mean, they really, I think, want mm -hmm. you to know that he made that ultimate sacrifice of his life. Um, so their crucifixes have blood and everything over Jesus. But yeah, I mean, Jesus, it, he did the ultimate sacrifice so that I could enjoy, you know, everlasting life. And so that's how I kind of see the joy of the resurrection too um and that you know i can I like to believe that i'm going to be able to also enjoy that someday um but um, so like as far as a sacrifice do you see that as like um a sacrifice for sins like that's how um like in my christian circles we see it like there's um, we're, we've fallen into sin, falling, sh fallen short of what God created us to be. And um, he would, you know, if he, he was a righteous judge, um, he would um, just cast us away forever. But um, Jesus was a sacrifice to, to, to pay the, uh, you know, to kind of go in our stead you know, so that we can go free, in other words. Is it kind of like the the viewpoint or the way that yeah. uh, that's seen in your circles? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I believe, right, exactly, that, you know, right, we could have all been cast out. Um, you know, we, we used that kind of free will, I guess, you know, in the garden, and we took the, you know. Um, but no, I mean, he did make that ultimate sacrifice for us. And so, yeah, I think that's exactly how I see it as a Catholic um, person. Um, I'm sure, you know, you could have the um, people in my circles say, well, yeah, there's all these different viewpoints. And there are, I think we all... Christians and any believers can have different viewpoints, but I think ultimately he he does love us and he knows, hey, you know, I'm willing to make this sacrifice for you. And so I I 
that's I think the joy that I hope I I can have even in my darkest days that you know that's something that I can look forward to and I I mean we all get down and I mean there's times obviously in what I do I can see people that feel there's no other way um, unfortunately some people feel the only other way is to maybe I don't need to be here anymore but I guess mm-hmm. that's part of my I guess Christian joy that I can um, be you know know that there is a God that truly loves me and that you know and that there is mm-hmm. life after death as we say so yeah so what gives you confidence I mean all of this is um, it's wonderful but only if it's true like if it if it wasn't we would just be kind of giving ourselves false hope and fooling ourselves in a sense um, so for you what gives you confidence that this is a, a true hope and you know and that it's not just something we entertain because we like it, you know what I mean? Right. I I don't know. It's I guess it feels kind of like it's just it's part of my like for kind of a hackneyed phrase like part of my DNA. I mean, it's I think it's something that has been such a I mean, obviously part of my life for 54 years now that I just feel that it, it's it's not just something that's there. I mean, and right, there's a lot of folks that don't believe. Um, but, I mean, I do have the confidence that it's not just some hoax or it's not just some made-up construct that we've kind of been, you know, you know, kind of the opium of the masses, as I think it's been looked at, you know, over in history by certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it's it's just it's true and it's it's just I don't know I guess I'm not explaining it right I guess that's just my gut reaction well, it's just that it's a, it, yeah. it, it's a hope you know yes I right. can't see I've never seen God I've never I feel I've had you know I've been touched by God I feel there's times that it truly has my my life has been touched by that and I feel moments of extreme holiness and grace um, in certain moments sometimes it's sitting in a church sometimes I found in the past few months because I haven't been going to church in the normal sense um, just sitting outside in, in the wonder of nature um, to me that's church too um, seeing the beauty of creation um, and those those moments those holy moments like some places I've been where I've really felt like this was a sacred spot um, that you know I get this overwhelming feeling of calm and 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 just hmm. kind of serenity I guess Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a philosopher, his name's Alvin Plantinga, and 
he caught my attention a while back. Um, so he, um, what he said was, um, or like one of his things that he talks about is um, that um, if if it, if God made us, then it makes sense that he he would put in us some kind of like inner witness to to him. So um, while there are maybe like philosophical arguments for the existence of God or there are historical arguments for um, Jesus and the resurrection and, you know, different things you could point to, um, um, you know, creation, the fine-tuning of the universe, stuff like that people talk about. Um, it um, Even without that, um, for the, the vast majority of hum- humanity throughout the ages, there's been something in them that just, you know, they f- they believe there was a God. And um, so, um, and, uh, and his point is like, well, with the arguments, um, they're great to help um, in this way or that way. Like if someone um, is hearing, um, you know, and someone who doesn't believe in God making arguments, well, they're, it's kind of nice to have a response to that. But normally, you know, intellectual arguments don't give a person that um, deep confidence <clears throat> that um, most people have just because um, of something like what you're talking about. It's just this gut sense that we are creatures in a created world and and that there's a benevolent God and so forth, you know. Um, so, so do you see any conflict with homosexuality and the Christian faith? There's the million dollar question. Um, (laughs) well, so I see it. Yes, I mean, in my own faith community, um, I go to a university's, uh, a non-Catholic university's um, Catholic center. So I go to a place where I think I feel more accepted or we feel more accepted because for me, traditional Catholic parish life is what I grew up in. It's very much, you know, family, and which is important and great, but I didn't feel as comfortable being that. And I mean, obviously, it's been, it's, it was until 19, I think, 75 or so, it was considered, you know, a mental health issue. So, I'd say Christianity basically has had a hard time with folks that feel, you know, a same-sex attraction, um, and 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 feel that their their sexuality is something that they see as homosexuality and not heteronormative. Um, it's against what God wants. God, you know, wants us to unite as you know man and woman and procreate um and uh it's been a conflict i've had over time 
um, in my, with my own faith tradition, um, especially with the sex scandal. Um, and then, you know, of course, kind of the rallying cry that it's, you know, the homosexual agenda and it's stuff like that that has brought us to this place. Um, I could expound on what I feel about that. I feel that it's hard to put, at the time, sometimes a 14-year-old young man into a setting saying, you can't think about yourself in these ways, and you can't do this, you can't do that, and sometimes I think that represses people. And then, unfortunately, they act out over time. But, um, I mean, obviously, we see a lot of Christian traditions that don't feel it's a bad thing. They they obviously let, like, same-sex couples get married. Um, I look at, like, the Episcopal Church. Um, they do allow that. Um, so, you know, and I, I can still remember telling my own mother, you know, my good rosary toting Catholic mother that I was gay. And I, you know, and I said, Mom, I may not see you in heaven. And she's like, I'll see you in heaven. So that gives me, I think, you know, and I know people would say, no, you will not go to heaven. You will be, you know, in the fires of hell because of who you choose to love. But um, I guess maybe I've, some people would say I'm taking a modernist attitude, but I, I, I don't think God is going to, you know, says I'm unworthy, but but that is me, and that's how I feel. But yes, I, I really feel that Christianity has not felt same-sex attraction is something that it can feel comfortable and feeling that it is something that is part of God's plan. Mm-hmm. Have you ever... Um like work through the Bible in in considering the passages that deal with that, and um, just trying to sort through how you've interpreted them, or felt about them, or thought about them, and stuff like that. Or is it more you're kind of looking at the tradition of the church and just what it tends to, what which way it tends to lean? I probably have definitely trended more towards the tradition of the church and how they have felt about it. Um, you know, I mean, they say that, you know, they need to love me and that if I, I lead a celibate chase life, it's okay. Um, but it's not okay if you don't. Um, and, um, you know, jokingly, I will admit I am not the most well-versed in the Bible. I, the joke is Catholics don't really read the Bible and I, that's not a fair assumption, but I mm-hmm. probably learned more about the Bible actually when I went to university because I went to a Catholic university up here in Chicago and I took New Testament um, and like could delve really into the New Testament in ways that I probably know the New Testament the best. I feel those are the stories that I hear over and over again. Not that I, we definitely hear out of the Old Testament, a church too, but I just feel like the New Testament, we kind of see 
kind of the you know chronology of Jesus's life and everything, and just some of those I think very more um, stories that we feel like we just kind of know, like second nature. But like you know, everybody's always about Leviticus and some of those uh, in Leviticus, and you know. I think some some things in the Bible are from, I mean, yes, man shall not lie with man, um, but I can't say that I feel that that is the explicit thing to say, you're damned to hell. Um, and maybe I, I'm taking a very, I want to take my view of, of, of life and how God sees things. And I, I choose not to see things, but I, th I think like in the Bible, there's many things that are open to interpretation. And I think we oftentimes have taken things, um, out of the context of, you know, what life was like in, you know, this, you know, the first century AD, um, and it, it's different now, and I, I don't know, um, but it has been a struggle for me at times, but I still believe, um, I'm still part of that faith tradition where I know people are like, how can you when they don't, they don't think you are worthy, um, that you're a sinner. But I always feel like mm -hmm. we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so, but. Yeah. Concerning the Old Testament, I kind of think of, well, I've heard people say before, the Bible wasn't written to us. I mean, it's for us. Right. But like the Old Testament, this was um, given to Israel as their national, you know, um, how they were to live and, right. and all of that. And then we're not Israelites. We're brought in. And um, so anyway, I kind of, the Old Testament, I see kind of like a, a benefit you know, it's good for us to know and we can gain from yes. it, but it's not necessarily like our guidelines for for life. Um, but I do, um, yeah, but in the New Testament, you know, they're like, I guess, you know, from St. Paul, he brings up homosexuality sometimes. And um, those are, um, yeah, so those are kind of more uh, pertinent to me and and thinking you know what his thoughts were on it and uh so anyway um well how old were you um when you um were uh, like when you knew you were homosexual i probably didn't realize it till i was in college um okay i don't feel that i really knew it um, in like during grade school or high school, if I look back at times, I do think that maybe, yes, had I 
thought about it, but I mean, when I think back to myself growing up, I truly thought the word gay meant happy back then. I didn't really think of gay as meaning somebody that likes the person of the same gender. Um, Mm -hmm. So I never felt that I had strong feelings, you know, growing up, like I'd look at another, you know, boy or a a man and go, Ooh, he's, you know, I find him attractive or anything. I never felt that. I probably thought about it in college because I was away from home for the first time. And, um, I went and saw a movie called my beautiful laundrette. And again, this is in the mid eighties. So like it was still not it was kind of like secretive to have movies in the mainstream that had any kind of homosexual kind of, uh, you know, uh, storyline to it. And so I went to this, not even reading about it. It sounded just like a neat film. And then when I got there, I saw two men kiss, um, on the screen. And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. And then I kind of, I, I thought about it, but I didn't, like, ever do anything. And then over time, I just started feeling that, like, maybe I do feel that I'm attracted to men. Um, And so I kind of, I think I came out to myself probably my junior year of college, and um, and then I slowly came out to my family, um, and then I kept. It was hard because when I came out in the late '80s, the AIDS crisis was starting, and I felt really scared. I thought I could lose my job. I was afraid people think they would, you know, get AIDS if they even touched me. Um, I really internalize that a lot. Um, so I kept it quiet. I mean, I, you know, I don't feel I'm, you know, as they say, an out and proud person. I mean, it is who I am, but, you know, I think of myself as, you know, a husband, a son, a brother. Um, I don't maybe make that my like rallying cry. Um, so I don't feel it's been really when I started grad school and like we had to talk about ourselves in front of my class for the first time. I remember saying, you know, I talking about my husband um, and like saying that in front of a group of people that I didn't know like that was like something I'd never done before. And um, (laughs) it it was nice that I could be open about it. and, and I mean, not that I was like closeted before then, but I just felt like I didn't always tell people if I didn't feel comfortable around them. Um, you know, in Israel, like in Jerusalem, I was not that I like walk hand in hand with my husband per se, but like, I'm like, I didn't want to be thought of as gay because I felt, you know, ultra-Orthodox people might, you know, 
be upset to see that there's a homosexual in their presence. Um, so I was, I felt a little weird and not totally always in Israel, um, but like in the in the old city of Jerusalem, there were parts of it that I felt there were people that might not like me for who I am. So, mm-hmm. but so like a lot of teenage. You know, young fellows, they have these raging hormones going through their teenage years. And, and um, so it doesn't sound like, so, so you didn't experience that? or um, No, I I was, no? Um, okay. I don't know, there's that old Disney movie called Pollyanna, um, where she kind of thought everything was yeah. just perfect and great and everybody was wonderful. I joke... Mm-hmm with folks and um there's a woman i used to work with she said oh i was pollyanna i mean in high school right you know i know those hormones were not um all crazy like oh my god you know i'm i'm thinking about women or men or both or whatever no i was mm-hmm. kind of pretty quiet and just, yeah, I didn't think about that. And I was totally, and I mean, there were things around it, um, you know, around me. I mean, my cousin was gay, but I think the word they used to say about, you know, my family would say around my, about my cousin was, oh, he's kind of queer. And again, I knew he was different, but again, queer meant different. Um, odd. Um, not that he particularly was okay. because he liked another, you know, man. Um, I never saw him actually with another man until later in life. Um, but when I was growing up and he was more, I guess he was what people sometimes think of as like the more effeminate um, kind of was not mm-hmm. what we think of as classical as like a man. Um, and you know, so yeah, no, but long story short, I did not have the raging hormones that I think most, not most, but a lot of young teenage boys do have. And so, yes, I never experimented or wanted to, you know, see what it was like. Right. Yeah. Like my experience was, um, really noticing the girls, you know, <laughs> like just um, being kind of uh, excited about them, you know, not them being like some kind of strange creature, right. you know, the opposite right. sex and so right. forth. I mean, I found, you know, there were, um, I think, young women in our class that I might have found attractive, but I also think part of me was I had, I think, a, a bad self image so like i always thought eh, i'm geeky nobody wants me you know kind of thing but anyway yes. um well what um you know you mentioned being touched by god at different times like is there any kind of um particular um of um experience that comes to mind that you want to just to kind of relate to Mm. to me or to us let's see um i think sometimes 
in my faith stepping into church um, it's a small it's not a big church it's not even what I call a traditional church it's like a chapel so it's a smaller like 200 people fit in it for me where I'm touched by God there at times is I walk in and I kind of feel for me this is me it's obviously I think it's a personal thing but I think what I'd like to think people do think of when I walk through the doors I'm leaving the the you know temporal world and I'm actually going into a sacred world sacred space um and so Mm -hmm. I feel touched by God a lot of times just sitting there and being quiet and just like this overwhelming sense of calm which for the hour or so I was in that space was wonderful. It kind of felt like the outside world was gone. Um, And I remember a couple times there was a woman that would sit next to me who I didn't, I mean, we would talk, we we got to talk at, at, at some point, but she's like, you're just such a calming force to be around. And I mean, I don't think it was me. I, I felt it was God kind of through me was that so those are times in as far as like kind of those moments of holiness um i felt that at the um tomb of saint francis in assisi italy i don't know i just again it was this overwhelming sense that i was in the presence even though no you know i was not in the presence of saint francis but again, where he had been and where he had trod, and I just felt that there was something holy and sacred and beautiful about being in the vicinity of his tomb and where he had been um, like that. And I guess the only other time that I could feel that I was, again, kind of touched by God um, and I'll probably get a little misty-eyed talking about it, but it was, again, in Israel, and it wasn't where I would have expected. I would have expected when I was in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that I was going to have this overwhelming sense of, um, wow, I'm at the spot where Jesus was laid down. Um, there were people falling over the stone where he was purport- where he was laid down and he was dressed before he was put in the tomb um the church of the nativity where he was supposedly born again but it was people i think had lost the sense of sacredness because all they were doing was taking pictures um but um the wailing wall or the western wall where people you see people go and put notes in and prayers to god that was a sacred moment and i I mean as a christian i felt that sacred although i know that's very sacred for um those of the jewish faith um and also in accordance with that when i went to um yad vashem which is the holocaust memorial in in israel going to the children's memorial that was where god was for me um hearing the names of all those 
uh, young people that died during the Holocaust. And um, I felt God was there in that moment while I was there. Um, I felt very much touched by God. So, and I think it's some of those moments yeah. where it's most, I think, uh, evident for me. And lastly, my last time, sorry, just popped in my head. Um, oh, sure. When I was in Germany, I went to a concentration camp, Dachau. And um, mm -hmm. there was a small ch uh, little chapel outside of, of the camp, kind of on, I guess, what would have still been the grounds at the time of the, when the camp was, was in use. And it was just a very simple wooden, you know, chapel. It wasn't anything grand that you sometimes see in Europe. Um, but I think in the, the juxtaposition of what I had just seen as walking through a concentration camp, um, to see a small little chapel or church, um, I don't know, it felt again, like an overwhelming sense that God was there. When you see, mm -hmm. if you turned around and look outside, you saw a place where great horror and great painful things had been taken place only, you know, 60 yard years prior. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything that, um, you feel like you've, you understand now, um, that you didn't understand earlier anything about life that um, it's kind of like a, a guiding principle or, you know, just anything along those lines? Um, let me see. Well, I guess what I feel that I've learned as I've hopefully grown more mature with age um, just, I think it's part of my Pollyanna attitude that I still sort of hold on to, but I think the hope, I think hope, um, I don't think I thought of hope in the same way, obviously, as a younger person, but I think hope. I think that's the thing, hope and, and, and um, patience um, are things that are kind of becoming my, my guiding principles, as you just said, um, for me to kind of like look at life and not feel like it's going, you know, there's so many things going on in our world right now that are tough to deal with. Um, and I think hope and patience are what I'm tr I try to cling to more and kind of are my guiding principles. Because I think if I, for me, if I don't have those, I could go down that rabbit hole of feeling really kind of despondent or depressed or like there's like, what's the use? Why, why, why stick around kind of thing? Um, so... 
Yeah, hope and patience are, I think, my my two words that I just kind of really cling to and 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 try to keep alive so that I can feel like you know each day is that blessing and that it's going to get better even in the times that sometimes I I have to kind of like bring myself back because at times I'm the lunatic that yells at the television or yells at something I'm reading because I find it utterly like if it's somebody saying something that I obviously feel is not quite correct or just kind of out there I will sometimes get upset um, obviously but I try to say okay there's hope there's you know be patient this too will you know kind of pass you know in that kind of hackneyed phrase sometimes but I do think that if I can have that hope and patience, I'm going to get through this, um, no matter what it is, not just because we're in the middle of a pandemic or whatever. It's just, I think, kind of getting through life. So that's what I think are definitely my guiding principles and things that I wouldn't have even felt I had in ways that I think are more, uh, I think, evident in my life today as a 54-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been really good talking with you, Jim. Thanks. Um, is there anything else that you just want to mention or bring up or uh, come... Okay, no. before we wrap up. No. All right. Well, it'd be great to stay in touch with you. It's sure. just <laughs> um, really great, good to kind of get to know you better. And um, So anyway, thanks a lot for okay, being thanks. on the episode. Okay. I think it's going to be a really good one. So okay. I appreciate it and wish you well. And, uh, thanks. Uh, I guess we'll sign off for now. Okay. Well, Thank thanks. You. you take it easy. Bye, well. Mm-hmm.